Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. I swear that this podcast is not going to just be about Elon Musk's Twitter going forward, but there uh, is really a lot happening regarding that lately, so it may show up a bit, including today. Uh, as you may have heard, last Friday evening, reporter Matt Taibbi started tweeting out what he and Elon referred to as the Twitter files, uh, supposedly revealing what really happened with Twitter's decision to block the New York Post's October 2020 story about Hunter Biden's laptop, with Elon uh, apparently handing over a bunch of these internal documents, which he now controls as the owner of Twitter, to uh, Taibi. For months, we've actually explained why the grand conspiracy that some people believed uh, about that decision uh, did not seem to have very much evidence behind it. Uh, and Friday's reveal basically confirmed that there was nothing scandalous at all, uh, just standard trust and safety work. However, uh, lots of people are engaged in what I would consider to be somewhat ridiculous, motivated reasoning to pretend that the files showed something that it actually appeared to explicitly rule out, that there was some sort of external pressure either by government officials or by the Biden campaign to silence the New York Post story. Instead, the files explicitly stated, or Taibbi explicitly stated, that there appeared to be no evidence of government interference regarding the New York Post story. And the only evidence that he presented of the campaign getting involved in any way was to alert Twitter to uh, a few tweets of people sharing naked images of Hunter Biden that were apparently found on the laptop. And those images pretty clearly violated Twitter's rules against non-consensual sharing of nude images and had nothing to do with politics. And the links were reported just like anyone else could report them and Twitter reviewed them and, and saw that they did in fact violate the policy and took them down. There's nothing that appeared to be political, coercive, uh, or corrupt about any of this. Anyway, it is still possible that Musk and Taibbi or some of the other people he's apparently shared these files with will share something that actually is interesting, but the initial dump seemed to debunk most of the conspiracy theories, even as Musk himself seems to be pretending that the opposite happened. It's very, very strange to me. Anyways, over the weekend, uh, Justin Hendricks from the Tech Policy from Tech Policy Press interviewed me uh, for the Tech Policy Press podcast to discuss these Twitter files, and so today I am sharing that conversation. And I promise that we will be back next week with something that is not Twitter related uh, on the podcast. But uh, until then, enjoy this fairly short conversation about. Uh, what is and what is not in the Twitter files. The world is increasingly technological. So we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plates to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get Mike, I appreciate you talking to me on a Saturday, uh, working on the weekend, but I suppose uh, Elon Musk somewhat dictated the news cycle when he decided on Friday to announce that uh, there would be the revelation of what he called the Twitter files, which came in the form of a series of tweets uh, from the journalist Matt Taibbi. 
What was your first reaction to the material that Matt put forward? Um, what material is <laughs> the real thing? I, I, you know, I, you know, when, when he announced it, I, I was like, well, I'm interested, right? And, you know, who doesn't want to know this stuff? Um, but the amazing thing was that, you know, one, besides the fact that the Twitter thread was delayed for like two hours before it actually came out. And then once it came out, you know, the first you know 20 or so tweets were complete nothing of just sort of um, random throat clearing. And then when we finally got to what I guess was the the focus of it, that there was nothing. There there was absolutely nothing of interest. It, it was, you know, almost exactly things that Twitter had said publicly in the days and weeks after all of this went down. Uh, you know, that the company had a policy in place around hacked materials. There was uh, some questions raised about the provenance of this material. And, you know, basically in an abundance of caution, the company, you know, hesitated and said that it, it fit under that policy. So that, that was all known and that was all publicly stated. Um, the policy itself was open to criticism. We had criticized that policy months earlier when they had blocked a, another, they had actually shut down, uh, suspended another account, the DDO Secrets account uh, under that same hacked hacked materials policy because they were releasing some police chat logs. We had said that it was it was going to be problematic because you're going to end up blocking legitimate journalism if you say that you can't have any any materials like this because this this kind of material shows up in legitimate journalism all the time. Uh, and so it basically just confirmed everything that everybody knew, but was presented in in such a, a sort of conspiratorial tone uh, and and suggesting a bunch of things that that you know for people who were looking to make claims that they could take and sort of run with it. You know, the the few things that that it revealed that were, you know, potentially semi-interesting was it, it showed, you know, very much out of context. It, it showed requests from the DNC, which appeared to be just traditional flags, you know, basically saying like, please check this content to see if it violates the rules. And as some other people have looked up, but apparently Matt Taibbi either did not look up or chose not to reveal, those were non-consensual nude images um, of Hunter Biden. And so those were things that clearly violate Twitter's policies and violate a number of different state laws. Uh, And so, you know, reasonable things. There was no indication that any of the requests had anything to do with the New York Post story. And, you know, there's basically just nothing. And and yet people are completely running with it and assuming that this is some big reveal. And it's 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 really just confirming, you know, the discussion. It revealed some of the discussion inside of Twitter, which seemed like perfectly reasonable, normal discussion, actually surprisingly uh, careful and thoughtful and earnest. I actually thought out of all of this, the that Twitter's trust and safety apparatus came out of it looking good, though there's tons of people who seem to disagree with that. It seems, you know, there was nothing really that newsworthy in all of this. So to some extent, I feel like experts like you, others who've commented on this, agree after the fact that Twitter ultimately made a mistake, right, in uh, limiting the spread of this particular New York Post URL and some of the kind of downstream actions that it took as a result. Um, But kind of understand that there was a fog of war kind of situation there where there were a bunch of sort of external uh, circumstances, uh, certainly concerns over the source of the material, uh, the messengers themselves, the individuals who are known to be 
uh, essentially bringing that material forward uh, to the post, to the journalist that uh, ultimately wrote the story. Uh, not exactly the most trustworthy individuals, Rudy Giuliani, Steve Bannon. But this has become a totem on the right. This is a, now, it seems like, a kind of important cornerstone in the big lie. Yeah. And I don't I don't fully understand why, um, you know, other than it's just something that they can cling to. And so I had actually I mean, it's kind of funny because last week I had started to draft an article that was, you know, basically titled. All right, let's talk about the Hunter Biden laptop, um, because I've written about it. I've written about how it's a nothing story for, you know, a, a multiple times. But I've, it's always been in other stories as, as part of the story, the, this larger story. And so I just wanted to have a post that was, you know, specifically sort of explaining why it's a nothing story. It, you know, the, the extent of the actual story, as I already kind of said, is that, you know, Twitter had a bad policy and I thought it was a bad policy and I had said it was a bad policy before all this went down. But, you know, that happens. I mean, these companies have bad policies. The thing that everybody's trying to focus on and claim is that there was, you know, a government involvement or that that the suppression of the story was politically motivated. And, and there's no there remains no evidence to support that there was that this story broke. And, and, you know, I was online that when the story broke and I remember there was a lot of confusion, there was a lot of concern. There were some oddities about the New York Post story, including the fact that the person who said was the original reporter on it had their their name pulled from the byline. Um, you know, that should be a warning. There were other indications that it, it might be of questionable provenance. And so there were all these questions. And if you remember kind of what had happened, you know, in 2016 and, and uh, you know, a few other times, there were real concerns about how different foreign actors might seek to, you know, abuse social media to try and prevent present you know, blatantly false or hacked information in, in questionable ways. And so there was sort of an abundance of caution and, you know, whether or not you agree with it. And I think, you know, again, like blocking the New York Post never made any sense. But, you know, you can see there's a perfectly logical explanation there. And there's no evidence of the government actually getting involved, you know, trying to suppress it or even the Biden campaign trying to suppress the story. People are talking about, oh, you know, the Biden campaign was was involved in this. And again, like the only evidence that they showed was that they were focused on the the uh, naked pictures and not the New York Post story. And so, you know, whatever the the underlying thing is that people think is is the, the big story just just isn't there. But they're just they seem to just want to focus on it because they need to they need to just sort of, you know, pump up the conspiracy factor. And, and this is all they have. So I, I don't I honestly don't get it. I feel like there's got to be there's got to be a better conspiracy theory out there that they could they could center on. But for whatever reason, they're, they're completely obsessed. You know, I mean, one obsessed with Hunter Biden, who isn't even, you know, is not part of the government and is not the candidate and obviously not the president. And, you know, I, I don't I just don't see what the big deal is other than it's something for them to cling to. Elon Musk has characterized this as a violation of the Constitution's First Amendment. Um, I've just spent an hour, more than an hour of my life listening to uh, a Twitter space with Elon Musk and other characters uh, talking about the fact that, you know, there's what seems obvious to them that the government is, you know, engaging with Twitter in order to censor people's speech. For my listeners sake, do you see uh, any potential violation of the First Amendment? The only thing in all the, the the releases that raised any kind of First Amendment question 
was the claim that was never then gone any further from uh, from Matt Taibbi that the Trump administration also sent requests to Twitter. Now, and this is important because people seem to have like, you know, believe time works backwards in some way in, in terms of claiming this because people are pointing to the DNC requesting the takedown of the naked pictures and claiming that that is a First Amendment violation. Clearly, that has nothing to do with the First Amendment because the DNC was not the government. They were representing a campaign for the president. So this is, you know, it's just individuals pointing out potential terms of service violations who are not the government. That is perfectly fine. You and I can report anything, you know, and, and Twitter will review them. Because they're a political campaign, because Twitter and every social network, frankly, has uh, ways for campaigns, all different political campaigns at all different levels to communicate with certain teams within Twitter. You know, perhaps their reports were given more credence than others, but the same is true of different people who, you know, lots of high profile people have, have the ability to communicate that way and to, to send in reports. Nothing about it indicated any kind of demand, any kind of coercive pressure. So the only thing that was potentially of interest from a First Amendment standpoint would be if the government is putting pressure on the company. And Taibbi did mention that the Trump administration had sent over a request to Twitter as well, but gave no details about them. I have no idea if those are or are not concerning from a First Amendment standpoint, but those would be the only ones that could potentially be. Uh, you know, it would have been nice if he'd explained what they were. I think there are potential explanations that are not problematic under the First Amendment, and there are potential explanations that are extremely problematic under the First Amendment. Um, but without details, it's it's really difficult to say. But the 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 Biden campaign is is a private entity, not a part of the government. There's there's zero First Amendment concerns there. It seems like though, in the right, folks are conflating this with a variety of other things that they're concerned about. COVID misinformation, of course. There's, uh, you know, state attorney general kind of inquiry into whether the White House coerced Twitter essentially to uh, limit speech around uh, COVID-19 vaccines, the rest. Um, there are obviously other concerns about the relationship between the FBI and other uh, social platforms. Um, so there is, you know, a broader kind of context here, a broader set of concerns. Yeah, and, and that's true. And, and, you know, and some of those concerns, I think, are potentially legitimate on the margins, but I think are blown out of proportion in, in serious ways. Uh, and so I think a lot of people have, have taken a bunch of these stories and sort of conflated them and mixed them. And like the specifics and the details really actually matter. So there were stories, you know, in particular of like, there were like FBI, there was an FBI agent who was meeting with social media companies. There's no indication whatsoever that those meetings, you know, involved the FBI telling the companies to take stuff down. It sounds as though they were pure information sharing, saying basically, you know, we're aware of foreign activity doing stuff. Please keep an eye out. This was another thing that was conflated uh, not too long ago, you know, whatever it was, a month or two ago when Mark Zuckerberg went on Joe Rogan's podcast and this was totally taken out of context. They they asked about the, the Biden laptop and... Uh, once again, like not that Mark Zuckerberg is the most compelling of speakers, but, but he he gave a, a pretty clear explanation of what happened on his end, which was that they had heard from the FBI, basically just in general, be aware that there may be some foreign influence operations and just keep an eye out. 
there was no indication that they got any sort of direct notification regarding the the Hunter Biden laptop story or the New York Post in particular. And in fact, you know, Facebook took a different approach to handling that particular story, which was that they didn't block it. They just didn't, you know, sort of held it back from trending and recommended topics until they could go through a fact check on it, which again is a perfectly reasonable stance to take. And yet everybody took that and said, oh, you know, he just admitted that the FBI told him to take down the story, which is not which is not what happened. So there are all sorts of things. I mean, I do think in general, the government should not be telling private websites certainly what to take down. I think that's pretty clearly a First Amendment problem or threatening them or trying to coerce them. You know, I think that some of the things that the Biden administration has done has been concerning on that front, you know, around like COVID misinformation, where, you know, the then press secretary sort of calling out individuals and saying, you know, these accounts are still online. That one is is a much closer call. It's it's not, you know, I think it was, it was kind of a dumb thing to do because it's basically giving giving the other side a bunch of talking points. There was no direct evidence of coercion or threats, which is where where the First Amendment issues come in. You know, I understand why the administration thought they should call out these accounts, but I, I think it's really it's it's a really bad look. And it is, you know, at least verging on, on a First Amendment concern. And so I, you know, I, I really don't think they should have done that. But like, you know, there, there still remains zero evidence of any actual like threats or coercion or anything around that, you know, other than like, you know, here and there you have one off senators or representatives making silly threats. And, and this is on both sides of the aisle. So, you know, you have things like, you know, Elizabeth Warren telling telling the companies to shape up or she's going to legislate against them. And you have Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley on the Republican side threatening to change laws to punish companies. Right. All of those, I think, are are sort of First Amendment concerns. But, you know, the idea that there's any sort of direct issue around like there's no there's no evidence of anything that raises to the level of a, a First Amendment issue with regards to companies enforcing their policies and determining how they want to moderate content in the same way that news organizations are able to to have their own editorial discretion. You know, all of these things happen. And I, I, I just I think it's all blown out of proportion. I think a lot of people don't really understand how the First Amendment works. It does seem that there is a great deal of uncertainty and Perhaps, uh, you know, in some cases, purposeful misdirection around, you know, how things actually work or how the law works um, in this. So we'll see how that all plays out, because we're going to be hearing a lot more about it, uh, at least if the headlines on uh, sites like Newsmax, Breitbart, Fox or any indication um, there are Republican uh, congressmen chomping at the bit to haul in Twitter executives to talk about this incident. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, even that, like, to me, that's that's more concerning. That seems more of a First Amendment concern to me than anything else, because basically imagine just, you know, to, to, to show why this is crazy. Just imagine if the Democrats said they were going to haul in Fox News executives to, to explain who they put on air and who they refuse to put on air. I think most people. Uh, certainly Republicans would freak out about that and say that's a huge First Amendment problem because you're basically demanding you're, you're putting pressure on these companies about their editorial discretion. And so I think the same is true of trying to haul in Twitter executives to demand they explain how they made their editorial discretion decisions in terms of content moderation. And yet, for whatever reason, people want to pretend it's something different. And so I, I you know, I think I think both of those 
cases are bad. I don't think that Congress should be investigating Fox News for what it puts on the air. And I don't think Congress should be investigating Twitter for what it, how it decides to moderate its content. Last question, Mike. There was some notable uh, redaction errors in uh, the Twitter thread last night. Um, yeah. A congressman's personal email, Jack Dorsey's personal email uh, exposed. And yet there's sort of a bigger thing here, I suppose, about what Elon Musk will do with access to the information that he has now that he's acquired this company. Those personal emails are just a minor part of the personal information that he's acquired. What do you expect uh, to see from Elon? Uh, It sort of seems like he's he's on a kind of quest here or, you know, this sort of revealed to some extent, um, you know, part of his motivation to buy the company. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, to some extent that that involves thinking that there's some grand plan here. And, and, and I'm just not sure that there is. And I'm not sure that he has any idea. And it really kind of feels like a lot of this is being driven in the moment by different whims or different demands from the people that he's following. And he sort of surrounded himself with, with a, a sort of, you know, a very specific ideological viewpoint and is buying into it. You know, it's, it's kind of funny in a lot of different ways that a lot of what he is doing now is exactly the kinds of things that um, lots of people were accusing Twitter of doing before, you know, moderating based on, uh, based on personal ideology and whims and being arbitrary and and not having a clear plan and, you know, just kind of like bouncing around and, and potentially not protecting privacy. And those are all things that like Twitter of all companies was actually pretty, pretty careful about like, you know, having clear policies in place, trying to enforce them as fairly as possible. And I know people disagree with this or people say, oh, you know, that that's not true. But like, if you actually knew like, you know, how much Twitter seemed to have done to really sort of bend over backwards to try to enforce its policies equally, not to do it arbitrarily and to have clear policies in place and not to just be based on the whims. It's funny, too, because at the same time, you know, one of the big complaints that people had was they claimed that Twitter was shadow banning people. People are still tweeting at Elon Musk using this like very, very dubious online tool that claims to tell you if you're shadow banned or not. And it'll basically tell everybody. I, I was playing around with it. And almost anyone you put into that tool will say it's, it's shadow banned. So people are like tweeting at Elon Musk saying, hey, I'm shadow banned. You got to fix this. Meanwhile, so like shadow banning was this huge problem. And then meanwhile, part of his big change to how they're handling content moderation is to implement more shadow banning and and people are, are cheering it on. So, you know, his his approach to all of this is is nonsensical. I mean, he's just sort of making it up as he goes along and just you know, kind of doing whatever he thinks is right in the moment. So I don't think there's any sort of grand strategic plan. You know, some of this surprises me. I mean, I thought that he would know better than, you know, if he's going to reveal stuff, you know, if he wants to be transparent, you know, for the most part, he has the right to be to release this stuff. I think there is a sort of side note on this, which is that it's a little bit odd for him to announce. And he he also has hinted at, though it hasn't revealed any details, that that the company may have interfered in the Brazilian election which seems particularly stupid for him to say, but like all of this, if there was any, any law breaking by Twitter itself, he's, he's the one who's liable for it. You know, he's bought the company, he owns it. So any of the liabilities came along with that. You know, he, he can't just voice that off and say that was the last guys. Cause he, he, he ended up with the liabilities as, as well. So I'm not sure strategically what the, what the, the plan is here. Cause it feels like a lot of the stuff he's doing is going to end up with him facing legal uh, you know, legal ramifications for his own statements here about what the company may or may not have done before. And so, 
in terms of revealing private information, I have no idea. I, I think it certainly does not suggest that he's being particularly careful with private information, handing it off to various journalists to go through. And, you know, it, it did appear, I mean, it was funny when the Taibi thread began, you know, the first few screenshots were, were pretty carefully redacted. And I'd actually commented to someone was like, oh, at least he's redacting information. And then like halfway through, he just seemed to stop. And suddenly like they were revealing names and emails. You know, the, the, uh, the Ro Khanna, Congressman Ro Khanna's email address, it, it turns out that Representative Khanna had revealed that publicly before. So it wasn't that big of a deal that Taibi revealed that the Jack Dorsey one. It's just kind of funny, I guess. You know, it's not great, obviously, because, I mean, that screenshot had had his email in two places and Matt had redacted one of them, but not the other, which is just kind of showing sloppiness and, and carelessness, which, you know, the entire thread kind of showed that. But, you know, it, it is this kind of like sloppy, careless attitude, which is kind of incredible because, you know, one of the big complaints around Twitter for years and, and, and a legitimate one, I think, was that the company was really, really slow in doing anything. But part of the reason they were so slow is because they were perhaps seriously overly cautious about everything that they did and how it might impact private data and privacy and information that they were sharing. And that often led the company from the outside. It certainly felt sometimes like the company was not being transparent enough. But a lot of that was just them being very cautious and careful around private information. And clearly the days of that happening are, are long gone. And now we're just getting, you know, kind of whatever uh, Elon wants without much thought to the wider impact. And I think just the one example of that is that within the Taibi thread, some sort of frontline, effectively low level employees were named uh, and their names were very clearly stated. And some of those people have since gotten death threats, you know, for really not doing anything concerning in the slightest, but just doing a basic, you know, frontline trust and safety kind of job. And, you know, that certainly suggests that, you know, the company is not only not concerned about private data, but also the health and wellness of, of people who work there. Uh, in his Twitter space tonight, uh, Musk invoked the Stasi files um, and <laughs> Mandela and truth and reconciliation um, and sort of seemed to suggest that getting this information out is a way of kind of uh, rectifying uh, some great harm that's been done and clearing, you know, the the runway for uh, Twitter to emerge as a, a more legitimate part of democracy. Um, so we'll see what happens with uh, future revelations. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing I'll say is like, to me, like, I, I'm surprised at, at how how benign they were, honestly, like it, you know, I, I've I've dealt with Twitter's trust and safety folks for many years and, you know, had had through my interactions with them and my discussions with them had been always been impressed. I thought that they were really thoughtful and careful and, you know, just just actually really good at, at thinking through these different issues. And so, you know, when these files came out, I was like, huh, you know, I wonder because you know, it's one thing for how they interact with me as, you know, as a, a journalist, you know, you can put on a good face and and I'm sure that I could be fooled. Right. So I was like, maybe maybe I'll learn that behind closed doors, they were really doing stuff that was a lot, a lot more sketchy. And and honestly, like it seemed like the opposite is what came out of it. But but the idea that, that this is magically leading to like a more trusted Twitter does not seem to be the case because people are taking these files that really showed that like the old Twitter was actually really 
good at, at trust and safety and competent and careful and thoughtful. They made mistakes because everybody makes mistakes. Uh, you know, and I think the policy was was bad, as I've said, but like it, it showed I thought they actually came out of it looking really good, like really careful, thoughtful. They were discussing it in the way that that every trust and safety discusses these things and not not suggesting any kind of political bias or, you know, uh, desire to you know influence elections or anything like that. And so, you know, in some weird way, it did, it increased, it increased my trust of the old regime, <laughs> uh, but, you know, really decreased my trust in the new regime just because of the way that, that they're trying to spin this as if it's, you know, some proof of, of something horrible that happened before. So it, it certainly made me a lot, you know, I was already not particularly trustful of this regime and this has only reinforced that. Well, certainly, um, our opinions, your opinion, my opinion could change uh, on this, yeah. depending on what comes out. Uh, we're told that there are thousands more documents and that now uh, Taibi has been joined by Barry Weiss in reviewing those documents. So um, I suppose I'll just insert a great caveat here that yes. we haven't seen the trove. And until we do, uh, we, of course, can't make final comment. But thank you, Mike, for this at least first go at it. And uh, I appreciate it very much. Yeah, no problem. You know, uh, Musk wants uh, Twitter employees to work hardcore, which appears to be including weekends, too. So I guess we also have to do that. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thanks. Thanks.